This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for your life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. Thank you and happy listening. So, the last few minutes we've been talking about the sevenfold puja. We've been looking at the stages of the sevenfold puja as practices in themselves. So each stage is a practice in itself. And this is part of a, of a whole path of practice for the bodhisattva, for the aspiring bodhisattva. starts with the four what are called the four preliminaries. We probably know them sometimes as the four reminders. Uh, so the reflection on the precious human opportunity, uh, reflection on the inevitability of death, reflection on karma, and reflecting on the faults of samsara. Those are the four preliminaries that we reflect on. And then the next stage of the path, there are different... Uh, uh, practices, but the Shantideva's sevenfold puja represents one of these practices of the, the next stage of the path. If um, I don't know if you've come across the jewel ornament of liberation by Gampopa, in there you find this path laid out, and he's got two or three different uh, practices for this for the middle section. But Shantideva's uh, uh, Puja, as we know as the Puja, is one of those practices. And then what follows on from that is the six, or actually it's the ten uh, paramitas, but usually it's just the six paramitas, you see. So the, the last stage of the sevenfold Puja represents the arising of the Bodhicitta. It represents this uh, kind of eruption or explosion of, of compassion, basically, of a, a kind of urge to practice for the sake of self and others. Uh, so yes, for, for uh, 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 compassion. So what I'm going to be looking at this evening is the is the six paramitas, uh, which we usually translate as the six perfections. I'm not sure if perfection is, is a good translation or not. Uh, the para bit means supreme, something is supreme. Uh, and the mitta bit means something that's established or set up. So it's something that's uh, supremely established or supreme, supremely set up. So the pra- taking the practice to its utmost as it were, that's what it's about. So we usually translate it as the, as the perfections, the perfecting, I guess, of the practice. And the six uh, perfections, which I'm sure you all know, are... Dana, generosity, Sila, ethics, Virya, Kshanti, Virya, energy, Kshanti, patience, forbearance, actually it's the other way around, I think, usually Virya and Kshanti, and then um, Samadhi, concentration, and then Prajna, wisdom. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to do a reflection on each one of them. I'm not necessarily going to give you a kind of exposition of, of the six parameters and, and uh, go into them really deeply or whatever. I'm just going to say something about each one and uh, 
it might be a little bit idiosyncratic because I'm just going to say what I've been reflecting on about each one and what, uh, what it's brought to mind for me. So, so the first one is, uh, is dana, generosity. And, uh, well, generosity we practice, first of all, at the level of um, the precepts, where, well, the, the second precept, we talk, first of all, we talk about not taking the not given. Uh, so that's the starting point, as it were. And then we talk about open-handed generosity. And now we've, we're on to the, the dana paramita, the perfection of giving, which... The perfection of giving is where there's uh, less and less attachment. So there's less and less, if you like, an experience of giving, strangely enough. So the perfection of giving is less and less like giving because there isn't an attachment to whatever. There isn't a sense of possession and ownership that's not so strong because the whole kind of ego sense, the whole sense of ego identity is less strong. So... That, that whole kind of lack of attachment leads to a natural kind of giving, a natural, spontaneous generosity. Uh, yes, the sort of generosity where you hardly think about it. But the way of, one way of thinking what it's like is, is just thinking of things that you do quite naturally without thinking about. If somebody drops something on the floor and you just pick it up and give it to them, you know, if they haven't noticed. You don't think about it, you know, it's not like a, a kind of major act for you. As it <coughs> and so the, the, the bodhisattva's generosity is like that, or is aiming to be like that. That's what it would be like when it's supremely established you know, or perfected. And one of the, one of the uh, as it were, side effects of, of non-attachment, or less and less attachment, is that the world becomes more beautiful. Because if we're re- re- uh, relating to things less in terms of possession, or ownership, uh, or grasping, or clinging, then they just become aesthetic. Everything becomes aesthetic. People and objects and uh, everything becomes much more of an aesthetic experience. So the Bodhisattva, in a sense, the Dharma, is a sharing of aesthetic experience, you could say. And a sense of abundance comes into that. But what I, what I was mainly reflecting on or looking at uh, around this was, was not so much uh, giving as in what to give or anything like that, but in the, in the Pali Canon, and again in the Mahayana scriptures, in, in for instance the Jewel Ornament of Liberation, it talks about how to give. And I just found that interesting, this, this thing about how to give, rather than what to give or whatever, how. And uh, so for instance in the Enkutra Nikaya, it, it talks about five ways that uh, uh, a person of integrity gives. So a person of integrity, or I think Bhikkhu Bodhi translates as a, a, a good man or something like that. It's uh, Sapurissa. Sap means true. Purissa is translated usually as either a man or a person or an individual. You see it in the Tirat Narandana. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. And it's, it's in the first verse as well, I think. Yeah. Um, so. 
in fact, you could even say Sakurisa could be translated as a true individual, which is a term that Bhante uses a lot. So this uh, uh, Tanisaro Bhikkhu translated as person of integrity. So the person of integrity, this is how they give. They give, first of all, with a sense of conviction or faith. Yeah? Secondly, they give attentively or carefully. Uh, thirdly, they give at the right time. Uh, fourthly, they give with respect, respectfully. Yeah? Uh, and fifthly, they give without causing harm to self or other, without causing injury to self or other. Um, and there are a few other additions to that in, elsewhere in the, I think it's in the Majina Nikaya. It says that the person of integrity gives with their own hand. They don't, uh, they don't, what's the word, delegate it. But, you know, give with their own hand. Uh, and they, they give, uh, they don't give something that's about to be discarded. They don't give something that they were going to throw away, basically. So they give something that is of value to them. Yeah? And uh, they give knowing that something will come of it. So that's quite an interesting one. I think the first one, giving with a sense of faith or a sense of conviction, and the last one, giving knowing that something will come of it, uh, actually are talking about the same thing. What they're talking about is karma. So uh, knowing that something will come of it or, or giving with faith means you're giving, knowing that actually this is a skillful action. You're aware that it's a skillful action to give. Um, so that's, that's one of the, the um, uh, things in how to give, give giving with, with the knowledge that it's a skillful thing to do. Uh, the second one, giving attentively, giving carefully. So, of course, it's giving with awareness, isn't it? Giving mindfully. So you, you're aware of what you're doing, aware of the other person. Uh, you're aware of what's appropriate to give them and so on. Uh, giving at the right time. Hmm. I take that to mean giving appropriately, giving at the right time. Yes. Um, you probably would have you could think of examples I suppose I can't think of one off the top of my head but I suppose if somebody's just experienced a major loss or something and you, you don't give it the time when it's right for you you give it the time when it's right for them yeah, to give uh, the right time or, or the, when it's the right time to give that particular whatever it is it might not be a thing it might be giving empathy or or time and energy or whatever, it's the right time to do that. Yeah. Uh, the other one was giving with respect, or um, the other translation is giving with an empathetic heart. So, again, it's to do with your relationship to the other person. How you give is all to do with the relationship to the other person, giving, giving with respect to them. And then giving without harm giving without harm to yourself or others. Which is an interesting one, isn't it? How, how would you harm yourself in giving? I guess one way you harm yourself is giving more than you uh, can give, as it were. Trying to give more than you can give, whether it's trying to give more in terms of energy or, or uh, money or whatever. Uh, how would you give in a way that would harm others? I suppose giving something that's harmful. You know? um, whether that's harmful advice, 
or harmful in the sense of drugs or alcohol or whatever. So giving something that's yeah. So how to give giving without harming self or others, <coughs> and giving with your own hand. Again, I, I I take that to be something to do with being respectful and attentive and so on. So those are just some reflections on the on the dana paramita. Those uh, things I've just read out come from the Pali Canon. But you find them as well, not all of them, but uh, pretty much the same things in the Mahayana. In, uh, for instance, in, in the Dual Ornament of Liberation. Uh, this one here is, is not translated as Dual Ornament of Liberation, but it's the same book. Gems of Dharma, Jewels of Freedom. Um, which, if I can find it now, but it, it will be in here that the... Um, The ways of giving. Yes, here it is. It says, "Give, uh, give joyfully, give with respect, give personally. That means with your own hand, at the right time, without harming. Well, here it just says without harming others. This is the Bodhisattva, so they're thinking of others, yeah. and impartially, and in order to fulfil wishes." So again, that's attentively. So it's pretty much the same thing that carries on into the Mahayana texts as well. Okay, so that's Dana. Then uh, moving on to uh, Sheila, the ethics. Well, the, the Bodhisattva ethics are on, uh, they talk about them on three levels. This comes from Asanga. Asanga uh, was I can't remember Asanga's dates. Can anyone remember when Asanga was alive? I think it was around the ninth, eighth or ninth century, somewhere around. He was alive when Buddhism was at its height. So uh, Asanga was born in present-day Pakistan, near Peshawar, in Pakistan. Uh, Buddhism was at its height. It was all over Afghanistan, Pakistan, that area that we know now as Afghanistan, Pakistan which is the area where Buddhism uh, encountered Greek culture. You can find the, the images of Buddhism and so on that come from that area. The Gandharan uh, uh, Buddhists are, are influenced by Greek sculpture. They, they're very beautiful. There's some in the British Museum. And what Asanga did, Asanga was brought together. He was a, someone who tried to make sense of everything that he'd received in terms of the Buddhist tradition. So he was bringing it all together. His, his great work is the Yogacara, Yogacara, Yogacara Bhumi. Yogacara Bhumi. And in that, there's a section, uh, chapter 6, on the Bodhisattva Bhumi, which is about uh, partly about Bodhisattva ethics. And he talks there about the three levels of ethics, which again is repeated in Gampopa in the Deuteronomical Liberation several centuries later. And the three levels are, first level is the level of what they call Sangra Shiva, which is uh, the level of restraint. So re- refraining from, refraining from doing things, refraining from killing living beings, refraining from uh, false speech, refraining from. 
And it also, of course, includes personal precepts for ourselves, refraining from uh, eating too much, or refraining from uh, excessive use of technology, or whatever it is that is our particular bugbear. So that's the first level, is the level of, of restraint. Yeah? The second level is what's called Kusla Dharma Parigraha Shila. So parigraha is translated usually as accumulation. Uh, Kusla Dharma is, uh, is positive state, positive mental states, uh, skillful mental states. So it's the accumulation of skillful mental states, the, the ethics that's to do with the accumulation of skillful mental states. Uh, and for us, this is enshrined in our positive precepts. So the positive precepts are about the accumulation of uh, of skillful mental states, open-handed generosity, deeds of, of loving kindness, and um, truthful speech, kindly speech, and so on. That that is the the accumulation of, of skillful or positive mental states. So that's the second level of 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 ethics, and then the third level of ethics. <coughs> Sattva Arta Kriya Shila uh, is uh, usually translated as something like benefiting living beings. Ethics for the sake of benefiting living beings or, or for the welfare of living beings. Uh, so this is the this is as a word of bodhisattva ethics proper, where it's it's not about oneself anymore. It's not about restraining yourself, it's not even about accumulating positive mental states, it's about benefiting living beings. And this is when the ethics becomes also uh, not just personal, it's also collective. It's when, when you start cooperating, working with others, that is part of the ethic as well. So it's, the, uh, it's cooperative because it's not about yourself anymore. Um, and it's, it's, it's about enhancing life for, well, for yourself and others. So it includes things like uh, friendliness and, and befriending people and uh, empathy and rejoicing, all of those things. Uh, Asanga had a list of, I think, 11 uh, things under this heading. Gampopa has 13. So I'll just give you some of the things that come under the heading of, of the ethics uh, for the benefit of, of living beings. Um, so the first one is uh, supporting those who are doing worthwhile activities. So it's, it's being helpful, basically. Um, second is removing the sufferings of beings in torment. So if somebody's badly suffering, you have to try and help them to relieve the suffering before anything else. Uh, teaching those who lack skill in how to cope or teaching those who lack skill how to cope intelligently. So education, giving education, giving skills and so on. Uh, appreciating what has been done for yourself and acting accordingly. So it's, it's, uh, it's to do with, uh, out of gratitude, out of a sense of gratitude, you act to benefit others because you realise that you yourself have benefited. Protecting beings from what frighten, frightens them, so giving confidence, giving fearlessness, and that kind of thing. Um, 
bringing together a Dharma following. So this, this is uh, uh, sometimes called the Bodhisattva's act of gathering, which is to do with, uh, well, it's to do with creating Sangha, basically. It's to do with uh, creating Sangha, which, of course, again, is a collective thing. It's not that that, that Bodhisattva creates a Sangha, but enters into cooperation with others. Making people happy through the very finest of qualities, it says. So it's, it's, it's a radiating, <laughs> radiating good qualities. And so on. One of them is about inspiring all these are exceptional abilities. But yes, it's a very high ideal. So those are the three levels. Restraining, accumulating... Uh, positive mental states and then benefiting others. Those are the three levels of ethics, the, the Bodhisattva ethics, which, as I say, was initially uh, um, it was a Sangha who came up with those levels initially as a way of, of kind of bringing together all of the, the Buddhist dharma that came to him. But it's, that's still the Mahayana uh, way of talking about it. Okay, so then there's Kshanti. Uh, Kshanti, um, well, there are three, three elements to Kshanti as well. You can talk about it in terms of patience, forbearance, and receptivity. So Kshanti is, is patience. Well, it's, it's usually talked about in, in terms of the opposite to anger and irritation. So it's uh, patience with yourself, uh, patience with others, Patience with the progress you're making on the path and things like that. Uh, and then as, um, what did I say the second one was? Forbearance. No, it's actually sometimes it's, uh, patience and forbearance is probably the same thing. It's endurance is what I meant, endurance. Uh, endurance is, so patience, you're being patient with other people. So endurance is putting up with uh, things that you can't avoid, so such as the weather uh, or... Uh, I think traditionally, in, in, if you look at the Bodhicharya Vatara on that section, it talks about things like mosquitoes and, and biting insects and things like that. Yeah. So things that you can't avoid. Uh, putting up, uh, as it were, without complaining <coughs> with the vicissitudes of life. Uh, um, illness. Well, for us it's often it's illness, it's the weather, uh, disappointments, things like that. So just enduring in that sense so that we're not um, uh, spreading our despondency or negativity among people so patience, endurance and then receptivity, well receptivity to teachers, receptivity to the Dharma uh, receptivity to feedback uh, receptivity to ourselves as well receptivity to what's, what's going on with ourselves you know. So those are the, the three elements of Kshanti, patience, endurance, and receptivity. I don't think I'll say anything more about that. I, I, I gave a lot of talks one time on Kshanti, so roughly enough if you wanted to. Um, virya. virya. Basically, Virya is about effort. Uh, so, I mean, Bhante is translated as energy in pursuit of the good. Uh, which is, is, is a pretty good way of thinking about it. But it's about effort. Um, 
And it's about having the motivation, anyway, the motivation to practice. So you could, under the heading of Viri, you could think of things like faith, shraddha, devotion, um, reverence, all of these things that, that actually, uh, whatever it is that, that creates the emotional dynamo which enables us to practice, enables us to turn up here on Tuesday night or whatever it is, that kind of enthusiasm, that, that uh, energy to, to practice. Um, Bhante has talked about energy in terms of uh, the, the, the main problems with energy is that it can be blocked, wasted, or too coarse. So you've probably all heard this, energy is blocked, wasted, or too coarse. So, so the task, if your energy is blocked, is to unblock it, so get it moving, get it flowing. And, and sometimes that's a matter of uh, something physical, like doing exercise or something like that, because, uh, because the energy is blocked, as it were, in your body. So yoga, tai chi, all of those things um, get the energy moving. Uh, sometimes it might be a matter of communication. Uh, the energy is blocked because you've never actually been able to communicate what's important to you. Nobody's ever, you know, you never encountered anyone who, who you could communicate with. So sometimes it's a matter of communication. Sometimes it may happen spontaneously in meditation. Energy gets unblocked. Um, well, wasting energy. Well, I think we all know about wasting energy. I mean, you just had Christmas, so I'm sure some of you doing all the things that distraction wastes energy. Uh, well, all sorts of things waste energy. So less distraction, going on retreat. Um, what Bhante talks about in terms of negative emotion, he says the thing that really wastes energy is negative emotion. And so, in order to, to not waste energy, you have to work on the, those emotions. Uh, uh, I guess, going back to the, the ethics thing, you work on uh, accumulating skillful mental states through, through the, the positive process. Uh, and then refi refining energy, when, again, usually we talk about that through, in terms of meditation, in terms of the arts, uh, or in terms of communication again. Communication is a way of refining our energies. But basically, Viriya is about effort. So you could think of it in terms of the four right efforts. The, the effort to develop and maintain positive mental states and the effort to get rid of and prevent uh, negative mental states. Okay, so samadhi. Samadhi is the uh, the per samadhi paramita. Usually, I think called it the perfection of meditation, meditation perfection. Um, I was thinking about samadhi as the the seventh stage on the spiral path. So you're all aware of the spiral path, the positive nidanas and you get to the point of samadhi, concentration. And the next point after that is knowledge and vision of things as they really are. And uh, what samadhi represents there is not so much concentration as in doing meditation and getting concentrated. It represents the whole... Um, Ubanti talks about it as representing uh, 
the spiritual growth and evolution of your whole being. Yeah? Uh, so it's a kind of high-level integration. Um, because if you think about it, it's, uh, it's not so much your meditation, if you do meditation for half an hour or an hour every day, and you get to particular points of concentration, in a way that's not enough uh, uh, to then take you through to um, uh, knowledge and vision of things as they really are. It needs to be your whole life that's concentrated, if you see what I mean. Your whole life is, is concentrated towards, uh, um, well, going for refuge, as we say. Your whole life is concentrated on the three jewels. So it's, 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 it's like intensity, an intensity of practice. Um, and, and it has uh, this sense of a steady practice over years, taking you to that, that point of concentration. And, and that, uh, you could say, applies back down the spiral as well. So it's not so much that you, like uh, faith, for instance, it's not that you have a, a, a bit of faith at 10 o'clock in the morning and then run the rest of the day and so on. You, you're getting your whole life, your whole kind of um, uh, inner world, as it were, uh, to a level of shraddha, uh, faith, where that is, as I said earlier, is part of the motivating force in your life, that you have faith in, in the Dharma, faith in the law of karma, and so on. And, and so on up, up the spiral, you know, that happiness and contentment and tranquility. You're trying to get yourself to a point where actually you're a happy person, you're a contented person, you're a tranquil, calm person. Uh, not that you have those particular experiences just in meditation, but that they're how your life is. Yeah? So the, the perfection of samadhi, the, 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 this... Um, uh, supreme establishment as a word of samadhi is establish, establishing it in your whole life yeah. so the meditation is important because meditation is like the spearhead of that it's for, what for many people will give them uh, stronger experiences of that but if you're, if you're not a great meditator you shouldn't despair because you get to that point through lots of different practices if you are a great meditator, you shouldn't despair either because you still need all the other practices. Yeah? Uh, so the, it's the broad practice uh, underpinned by that faith. That's, what, that's what's required to get moving up the spiral, as it were. Okay, so the... Paramita, the, the perfection of wisdom. Lots of, well, this is the, in a way the most important of the perfections because it should be there in all of them in a way. But uh, different ways of talking about it. You could talk about it in terms of the five wisdoms, for instance, the five wisdoms associated with the five Buddhas, the, um, the mirror-like wisdom and, and so on. Um, one of the problems with talking about wisdom is that it can get very abstract quite quickly. It moves away from, from your life as it were. It feels like it's something else, nothing to do with you. But actually, uh, again, if, we're, if it's to be something that we perfect, we have to find it in our, in our lives and then, as it were, improve it. 
<laughs> build it, let it grow, evolve it, whatever. So if you take something like the, the mirror-like wisdom, you might start off uh, with just recognizing your own subjectivity. So the mirror-like wisdom is the wisdom that sees everything just as it is, yeah? just as it is, without anything added. But what we add is our own subjectivity, our own uh, emotionally-flavored <coughs> interpretations of reality. So part of uh, what we have to do is to, to, to try and recognize our own subjectivity and try to be a bit more objective about what's going on, yeah? which is not easy because our own subjectivity is like how we experience the world as a world. It seems like that is reality. So part of what the Dharma is telling us is actually our version of reality isn't reality. It isn't reality. It's uh, our version of reality. And we have to kind of find ways of seeing in what way we're, we're um, distorting reality, as it were. With the wisdom of equality, uh, well, the wisdom of equality is, is about, um, well, basically it's about seeing that at, at bottom, as it were, we're all the same. We've all got potential. We've all got great potential as well. In fact, Dharma is saying we've got the potential to awaken, to be Buddhists. Uh, and we've also, none of us, has a fixed self. None of us has a fixed or separate self or ego. Uh, we're all possibly operating under the delusion, um, not necessarily conscious delusion, but nevertheless <laughs> operating under that delusion that we do have a fixed self, but none of us have. And in that, we're all equal. Uh, in a more practical sense, it's about letting go of pride, Letting go of pride, but but uh, perhaps even more basic than that, it's about letting go of making comparisons with others. Yeah, so you don't make comparisons about being better than or less than or equal to others. Equal to in the sense of talking about in a more superficial sense, uh, equal. So it's letting go of pride. Well, it's actually letting go of pride and humility. I don't know if you've read Bhante's uh, memoirs, the, the uh, what's it called now, the Rainbow Road. In there, he talks about meeting this uh, one-eyed guru, Yalahankar Swami, who taught him that humility was just the same as pride. That the, the two were, as were two sides of the same coin, and. Uh, yeah, so it's letting go of pride and humility as well. Uh, sometimes we're too humble. We, we, uh, we, we don't recognize our own value, our own worth, our own abilities, what we have to give and so on. Uh, and sometimes we're too proud, overconfident. We, we think we're, we've got an inflated view of ourselves. Most of us uh, are fairly ordinary, with perhaps some abilities that are well-developed and so on. But we just have to recognize that. Again, it's a bit like uh, being, object <coughs> being objective, being objective about ourselves. You could say that that is what self-meta is. That meta towards yourself is having a, 
a kind of clear view of yourself, a clear view of who you are. So not, you're not inflating yourself, you're not putting yourself down. You've got a clear sense of who you are and your value and your worth. So then there's the distinguishing wisdom, which sees the uniqueness of, of all beings. And this is, again, very important that we, we recognize that we are unique. <laughs> yeah? uh, in, the, in the parable of the rain cloud, it talks about the rain of the Dharma falling on down on all beings, the same Dharma, the same rain. But all the plants grow according to their own nature. So they all grow differently as well. And similarly with us, we all grow differently. We're all, we're all different beings. Uh, and why that's important is because uh, when you come into a Sangha, a tendency is to think that you, 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 you need to grow in the way somebody else is growing. You see what I mean? Uh, maybe the person teaching you or whatever, that you have to become like them or whatever. But no, you're a unique, you're a unique individual with a unique set of um, qualities and so on. And it's those qualities that will grow. It's those uh, positive qualities that grow. The all-accomplishing wisdom uh, of Amoga City. Uh, so this focuses on action. Amoga City is the Buddha of action as well. Action being, of course, karma. Uh, so you, you could talk about this in terms of recognizing the truth of karma. So Because the, the, the poison associated with Amoga City is envy. Because envy is when it's like when you see other people doing something. They're acting, as it were, and you're envious of, of what they're achieving or whatever. Uh, the the all-accomplishing wisdom, as it were, is about acting. It's about doing. It's about, uh, uh, yes, it's about having faith and recognizing the, the, the truth of the law of karma so that you, you, you put that into action in your life, so to speak. You, you, um, you have confidence that if you act skillfully, you don't have to uh, be concerned about outcomes, basically. If you act skillfully, it will, it will come. Uh, the Dharmadhatu wisdom, which is the wisdom of Varochana, well, that's the, the wisdom that includes all the other wisdoms. In a way, you could say this is, in terms of uh, chunking it down a bit, it's, it's, uh, it's penetrating as far as we can into the law of conditionality, Pratichit Samapada, doing as much as we can to understand what that's about and to see how that functions in, in our lives and in the world. Uh, that everything arises in dependence upon conditions, basically. That's, that's kind of like the basic Buddhist truth that we have to really penetrate into. And, of course, how it applies to us in, in the sense that uh, we don't have a fixed self and so on. Uh, which means, of course, that we can change. Not only that we can change, but that we will change whether we like it or not. In many ways. The other way to talk about uh, wisdom, of course, is in terms of listening, reflecting, and, and meditating, which could be applied to all of the five wisdoms. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that cross-referencing for you right now. But uh, listening basically is about uh, knowing the Dharma. It's about knowing what the Dharma is about. What is the teaching? 
So you're, you're hearing it, you're learning it, you're reading it or whatever, you're understanding it, doing your best to understand it. Uh, you know it. And, and, and it's not about uh, reading a hundred books about the Dharma uh, or listening to every lecture that goes up on Free for the Studio. In fact, the, the, the principle of more and more of less and less probably applies. Because we don't really know the Dharma just because we know a list. Yeah? You can know the Eightfold Path, but it doesn't mean you really know it. So you, you, it's going back again and again to the same teachings and, and really penetrating into them and understanding them. In a way, that leads on to the, the next one, which is the, the listening, the reflecting. Uh, so the reflecting is, is where we, we're starting to relate the Dharma to our own experience much more. We're applying it to ourselves, applying it to our lives. So we study the Dharma, we discuss it with others, we reflect on it, especially on retreat, when, when our minds are clearer and so on. And we, we reflect on our own experience in the light of the Dharma, and when we reflect on the Dharma, we try to apply it to our own lives. So it's this whole uh, thing of, of uh, experience. We're trying to experience the Dharma. So you, you know it, now you're trying to experience it. And then the, the, the meditate level is where you're trying to embody it. You're trying to, to actually live it. You live the Dharma. It's, not, it's no longer uh, something that you just think about or reflect on or whatever, you're actually starting to live it. You can relate those three to the, the different types, the, the, the faith type, the wisdom type, and, and what's called the body witness but for another time perhaps. So those are, are some reflections on the, on the six uh, perfections. I hope you found some of it helpful uh, and, uh, and that brings to an end that whole series of talks on the um, puja and so on uh, finishing off with the six perfections and now we go on to a whole different thing next we hope you enjoyed this week's podcast please help us keep this free make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate and thank you 